0: Right, so we produce trillions of packaging units every single year. Every brand is talking about sustainable packaging, and every designer is racking their brands on how to be more sustainable and how to design packaging to be more sustainable. But are we getting scammed by sustainability? We're gonna to talk to Paul Folk's Adianos, he's the founder of Circathon, and we're gonna uncover the most prevalent scams in sustainability today. And now it's not all gloom and doom. Paul and I are gonna share three big things that you can do today to make your packaging more sustainable. But You got to check out the last one because it's the simplest and the easiest to actually accomplish today. So do me a favor. Before we get into the show, I want you to hit that subscribe button. So what are we going to talk about? Replacing things with paper. We're going to talk about stand-up pouches. We're going to talk about aluminum cups. We're going to talk about the paper shortage that's being created by sustainability. We're going to talk about tree-free paper. Like what is that? Is it sustainable? What does it even mean? And one of the questions that I get a lot is, should I be using hemp paper? Well, we're going to talk about hemp paper and where it really makes sense to use it and where it doesn't. I can't wait to get to it till let's jump right in. Carbon offsetting. Scam or not a scam?
1: A lot of carbon offsetting is a scam. A lot of it. Why? Because, and it's actually, you'll see the highly polluting companies are the ones that jump into offsetting first. Why? Because they can't be bothered to do the real job. I mean, this is why people refer to carbon offsetting as a scam. It's generally because of the companies that are doing it, who are doing it for the completely wrong reasons. So instead of looking at reducing their own carbon, they're like, you know what? We don't need to bother working hard and getting stuff done. We can just offset. So let's do that. And we can say, hey, we're a carbon neutral event or a carbon neutral company, but they haven't done the work. And what's really impressive is all the other companies who've done the work. They might be a B Corp or they might be, you know, someone who's got a net zero target and they are doing the daily work to bring that carbon down. And, you know, they've got carbon consultants, they've got carbon accountants and they're doing the work and they do that without offsetting. And frankly, you know, I know someone who is a carbon accountant. He said, everything that we offset is like, An embarrassment to us (laughs) you know because we are a carbon neutral company and we end up having to offset a few tons every year but it's an embarrassment we shouldn't be doing that you know and it costs us money and to be honest what we're seeing is a lot of um, things that are happening anyway so forests that were already being planted trees that already saplings that were already going to be there anyway then say oh were offsetting, right. but it was going in anyway. This anyway. is the real issue. Yeah, it was gonna be there anyway. And we've we've seen that a lot. We've seen that with beer brands. We've seen that with um, consumer good brands um, uh, doing a kind of fake offsetting, which really annoys people. who saying, do the right job first and then go and plant some mangroves, go and plant some seagrass.
0: All right, so carbon offsetting. What we're seeing is there's plots of land that are already existing. There's trees on them already today. So that's already absorbing, uh, you know, tremendous amounts of carbon. And then all of a sudden somebody says, oh, I want to sell this as an offset. Not really offsetting because it's already removing the, the carbon. Um, yeah. So you're, you're double dipping in this area. Yeah. And I and then the, the
1: brands can remember market about, yeah. that. Yeah. The other thing to remember is that, um, you probably saw the news that there have been these huge wildfires, California, right? They're offsetting all that planting they've done yeah. gone. Yeah. Yet the businesses that have offset that are not suddenly given a massive fine because their offset has disappeared. They're just like, hey, things happen. We've yeah. been offsetting for ten years. All our trees have gone, but we got to. We've been carbon neutral for ten years by doing this.
0: When it, when a when a tree captures that carbon. Hmm when we chop it down, when we pulp it, when we burn it, essentially you're releasing. It's not a, you know, it's not an equivalent amount, but it's no longer capturing. But
1: it's no longer capturing. And that's the whole point. It's no longer capturing. I mean, the most mind blowing thing I learned this year is that oranges and lemons are carbon negative fruit, because that tree in its lifetime captures so much carbon. So, if you want to be truly carbon negative, lemons and oranges—you're never going to go wrong. And that kind of—I think that really taught me
0: something about how things work. All right. So, carbon offsetting scam, ninety percent of the time. Yeah, who
1: knows what the figure is, but it's—it's right. it's, it's, for the it's, most—it's it's not good. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. it shouldn't be being done. It's a really good excuse not to do the work.
0: Perfect. Stand up pouches, scam, not a scam. I'm seeing these as sustainable solutions.
1: Well, we talked a bit about, you know, we were thinking about like reducing pack weight. So a stand up pouch is pretty low weight. Mm -hmm. Therefore, transportation terms, less gasoline, less diesel to transport. Those pouches, so when you go back to what I call the early days of sustainability, you know pouches were seen as being like this great format because it was sturdy, they didn't break, they were very lightweight, you know um, and, and that's how they were considered um, sustainable, but you know going back ten, fifteen years, no one was worrying about recyclability um, flexible plastics leaching into the earth. I mean, we're breathing them in now, you and I are both breathing yeah. microplastics and nanoplastics in as we sit here. No one was talking about those things. And the question is, is that sustainable? I mean, are we a society that wants to be basically um, throwing chemicals into the air that we don't understand? Is that what we want to do? Um, because if we're if we're going to be turning to pouches, then we're literally creating a microplastic time bomb because they're everywhere. And we know that many of the large companies are desperately, they've got teams of engineers trying to remove pouches and sachets and packets from their supply chain. Because yeah, right now we have so many chemicals in our earth and in the seas, it's
0: it's no longer a joke. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, you know, I hear a lot of, a lot of agencies, a lot of brands moving to stand up pouches. Um, mean, you walk down any grocery aisle and there's just, just, you, you can't, you can't even, you can't not see stand up pouches. Um, but they are, they, 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 they pack out really light. Uh, they, they reduce the amount of shipping container weight. Like there's a great story there, but then once it actually delivers what happens after, And that's where I think everything falls apart and it's really hard to balance, even like with an LCA, it's hard to balance what that, what that looks like in terms of a life cycle analysis. It's like, yes, you've got all this great data beforehand, but once it hits consumers, it falls apart.
1: Yeah. So cradle to gate, lovely story. It's the gate to the X cradle that that really (laughs) is the worry. And there are a lot of people saying we should use heavier, rigid packaging, because then we know it can be recycled. But do the maths. And as you say, it's a complex situation. One could be right for one product. One could be right for another. One could be right for one state. One could be right for another state. You cannot make that kind of generalization. Everything is individual.
0: So a good segue generalization. right? We're seeing paper bottles popping up, replacing plastic bottles, replacing glass bottles. We're we're seeing aluminum being used in a lot of different areas as well. Now we're seeing aluminum replacing paper in some instances. We're seeing paper replacing glass in some instances because they're generalizing. These are recyclable. Is paper for everything or aluminum for everything, is that a scam?
1: I think it's what happens when people are looking for easy answers. Now, you know, hi marketers, all my friends in marketing.
0: Marketing, marketing, super, super.
1: Guys, you look for easy answers. We know that you do. That's part of your job in marketing is to get things done. You don't want a complex answer. You don't want to be told it's going to take three years to get to the right place. It's like, I want an easy answer. I need something I can do. And what's happening is that marketing people Across the world, every single country, every single continent are trying to go for the easy answers. Their R&D people are saying, hey, hang on, hang on. (laughs) This could really wreck a whole pile of other stuff. Um, But time after time, when I go into these big businesses and talk to them, um, and I talk to the R&D people and the packaging people and the logistics people and the marketing people, you realise who's driving some of these kind of insane changes, um, making something that has four times the carbon and reduced recyclability because it kind of looks eco-friendly, right. and and that really is an issue. Um, and it's really, I think, it, I think it will improve. I think there's education going on. I think the packaging industry is kind of trying to say to people, look, think harder, don't make these rapid choices, because ultimately you can reduce all the carbon in the world. You can get us to where we need to be on carbon, but then your planet is completely polluted and it's not worth living on. So you really have to think, you know, wow, I've got this amazing carbon reduction. We're going to stay within 1.5 degrees. Oh, I've just killed off every river in North America, yeah, you know, and, and that's kind of what's happening. People have got what they call this carbon tint, carbon tunnel syndrome. And all they see is carbon and they miss yeah. all the and other stuff, else. all the birds dropping out of the sky and the bats and dying. They just miss all of that because they're like, Hey, we got carbon down by 0.13%. Woo, get yeah. my bonus. and And that's what's happening
0: you shared ball companies, ball corporations, uh, aluminum cups. Um, uh, you know, I've seen those quite a bit. Uh, I remember when those guys launched that it was, it's replacing the solo cup, right? The, the red solo cup, which actually, you know, you refill that thing anyway. Um, it doesn't recycle, but then you have the aluminum cup, which it does recycle, but now we're, we're mining more aluminum in order to create these cups is like, is there's got to be something better, right? There's gotta be something different than going to that extreme right? where we're replacing everything with aluminum means we have to mine more aluminum. And everybody says that, yes, well, it's completely recyclable. So we can, we've got you know, aluminum from the seventies. that's still in circulation today, but with how much we're expanding and how much we're using it, it's not like we're, we're, we're mining less because of the recyclability we're, we're mining more and that leads to its own set of, of pollution.
1: Yeah. I think the most important L in circularity is longevity. Mm -hmm. So the reason that I am a fan of metals in every sector that I work in is longevity. So just to give you a great example, I have a lot of gardening equipment for my garden Mm -hmm. and all the handles break. They they shatter because if you leave plastic in the sun... in my greenhouse or even the garage somehow it gets brittle over two or three years and i'm busy cutting something and they just shatter in my hands and i said to my dad "Ah, you know this is crazy i'm gonna have to buy like some the japanese only use wood and metal to make their gardening tools he said i've got some in the garage they're from your grandfather i think they're from the 60s Mm -hmm. and he brought them out and i was like oh my goodness these are like brand new And I still have them now. I've just bought a knife sharpener to kind of make them. I haven't sharpened them for four years, and I'm going to sharpen them. And this is the whole point about metals, the longevity. So if you buy an aluminum cup and you take it home, and three, four years later, those – I mean, I've got Solo cups and I've got the metal cups at home. The Solo cups are starting to crack. They look – Um, An English word is called manky. They're pretty (laughs) disgusting. The metal cups look brand new. And that is the whole point of longevity. They get used probably at least every weekend Mm -hmm. and probably two or three times during the week as well. Um, And and that's what we should be doing is really focusing on longevity. And and that really is the goal of... um, sustainable packaging community is how do we create stuff that lasts forever you know infinitely not recyclable but infinitely there that 10 years later we're like hey yeah still using the same pack it's worked And, and that's a big behavior change i mean i have no doubts about it i've seen so many examples been involved in so much of that and and heard the consumers speaking but We kind of need to get there. And that, to me, suggests, if I'm going to be honest, everything we have today isn't good enough. We need, like, a super material, (laughs) maybe using nanotechnology or I don't know. But I do know that all of these are legacy materials and therefore not really designed for what we understand now that we have to do. Um, You know, when there was like a billion people, it was fine. We had loads of landfill.
0: really matter. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Eight billion.
0: We have to really rethink the whole thing. You're replacing a throwaway item, right? The red toilet cup is just culturally, it's a throwaway item. And now you're just replacing it with something that's recyclable. So that culture doesn't change, right? People are now just taking that and, you know, drinking at a stadium, tossing it in the recycle bin. So it gets yeah. recycled, but it's the, still only single use. Yeah, yeah. And I think, that that's the I think it's the
1: beginning of a journey. I think that's the beginning of a journey. I think, you know, we need to get to the point where they actually get taken off site and get mm-hmm. washed. And then a week later, they're back on site again. I mean, we yeah. need to get to that point. And, and that is a logistical <laughs> supply chain shift. I mean, the consumer's like, yeah. hey, yeah, whatever. Go off and wash it. I'm happy to drink it from it next week. But the actual um, catering system isn't quite ready for that yet. And I think they're gearing towards Mm. it. So I think we will see over the next three to four years. You know, in England, we've gone back to ceramic cups. You know,
0: there are no throwaway cups anymore. Everyone's everything ceramic, ceramic plates. So so if you're at like a Manchester United game and you order a beer, they, they bring it to you in a ceramic cup
1: no not for beer for coffees <laughs> yeah oh no 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 yeah. not quite yet not quite yet they don't want, you don't want
0: anybody throwing yeah they don't want anybody throwing a, yeah. a, a glass mug out into the field
1: yeah well you know uh, rugby cricket where people are well behaved yeah. different kind of mentality <laughs> you know this this will come this will come because yeah. um we are as long as the the single use lobbyists don't have their way so you know the paper industry is like going hey don't use ceramic cups of coffee you know throw away paper is has less carbon um, but this is all commercial ultimately yeah. everybody wants a piece of the pie everybody wants to to make money and you know we will get to the right solutions and i think mm-hmm. honestly We'll get there pretty quickly. I mean, in Europe, the legislation is like the new legislation that hasn't happened yet is going to kill the single-use packaging industry. And and a lot of people are aware of that because it's like no packaging, like reduced packaging, and in the worst case, recyclable. And, you know, I've written a couple of articles for a European packaging magazine about that. And when I read the legislation, I'm just like, are you serious? You've never been near packaging legislators. This is like too hard. And I kind of do ambitious stuff. I'm going, no, 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 no. This is like, I can't think how we do it. And maybe we will get there, but we probably need people from the automotive industry or the, I don't um, know, another industry that doesn't, isn't built into packaging to kind of go, guys, what are you doing here? Think about this, think about that. We do the packaging industry, we we've all been in it our whole lives. There are not many mm-hmm. external people in the packaging industry. Right. They might move from like metal to glass or pulp to maybe yeah. plastics, but that's it. Yeah, we all think like packaging people and maybe that is is not the way it should be.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, just one, just one thing here on what we were talking about, like just transitioning product, you know, packaging from something to something else, you know, we're seeing a lot of, uh, aluminum taking place of, of other materials. We're also seeing a lot of paper replacing a lot of plastic. So like the plastic, pa- like the paper bottles, we touched on this yeah. the last time we spoke. Um, but since then, I think we spoke about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So- yeah. Since, since then, like this paper bottle movement has picked up papers, replacing a lot of, of, you know, there's, there's like up pouches that are, that are wrapped in paper, but are still plastic. So we're using a lot more mm-hmm. paper. And what people don't realize is this thing, it, 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 it's a snowball. So now we're having issues where there's no, there's no pulp for like yeah. actual paper production. Um, yeah. there's shortages all over the place because it's being used everywhere else. We're cutting down a lot, you know, we've increased um, just how much we're cutting down in order to achieve all of this paper that's required by the industry. And it's, so yes, paper can be recyclable. It can be sustainable in a a certain sense, but if we use it for everything, then it it ruins everything. And I think it's the same for aluminum. If we use it for everything, it really, you know, it it has to have like, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to be sustainable today as a brand, we're moving... Everything to paper because there's a huge impact, uh, you know, with that.
1: Yeah, and I think you know you, you're absolutely right that we we've got to just have less packaging. We can't just keep swatching around, and um, this substitution isn't going to work. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely not, man. And then you know <clears throat> we touched on um, tree-free just in our conversation before we we jumped on here. If we're to transition to tree-free paper. Before we talk about that transition, can you explain what tree-free paper is? Yeah, for
1: sure. So, historically, paper was not made from trees. You know, this is something that probably our generation, I mean, you're younger than me, but our generation kind of doesn't really know. We just think that, you know, paper comes from trees, but, um, you know, the Constitution in the States was written on hemp paper, for example, Paper used to be made out of um, basically any leftover crops, so you would you know sow barley or wheat or hemp. and then when you'd got the food content out of it, the stuff that left was left over, that's what you used to make paper out of. Um, and in fact, in China, until probably the Canadians started exporting um, timber to them in the '80s, 90s. They were making all of their paper out of, um, you know, basically plant waste leaves and stalks and stuff from rice. For example, people would just pick the rice and then the rest would make into paper. Um, and we know that, um, you know, across the world, people were not using trees. But it suddenly, and again, the forestry industry didn't do this kind of um, unknowingly. <laughs> they were making money from this. The forestry industry like, yeah, it's look at our paper, it's whiter, it's smoother, it's better. So people started making paper from wood. But tree-free is basically any, um, anything, any crop waste, I, I say waste, it's really what we now call a co-product, this is my new word for this month, um, <laughs> that you can do something with. So you've made you know, um, your rice or your bread or your sugar, and everything that's left over is now a co-product, which has a better fiber length than a tree. And this is the bit the forestry industry really hate, is that they're like, ah, oh, you know, you can't compete on fiber length. The, the, the durability and the strength of hemp, for example, you just put 20% hemp into a wood pulp and it gives it much better properties. And the fiber length is much better for something like hemp so it's and there's a lot and the thing is there's millions of tons of it
0: all right so let's let's talk about that because everybody that i've spoken to is that the hemp fiber lengths are actually shorter so in order to get a quality sheet we have to increase the amount of virgin uh, pulp in there in order to balance out Um, so you've got a short fiber length on hemp once it gets processed Uh, you can't use post-consumer waste recycled pulp because that that's a shorter fiber length. So now you have to increase the amount of virgin fiber. And this is something that, that, um, kind of gone through with, with a bunch of different paper companies are like, we can't push more than 30, 30% is like the threshold of hemp because beyond that we start getting, you know, you start getting cracking, you start getting issues with printing, you start getting like all these different things that we've now come accustomed to are, my my pack shows up and it's got to be perfect. You know, I can't have a crack yeah. on it. I can't have the ink rubber. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like that expectation.
1: Yeah. Interesting because um, pulping technology for non-tree fibers has gone through a revolution in the past five years. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the usage is not going to be for fine packaging papers. I mean, that's that's sure. like a not really going to be, I don't think, the core use of non-tree fiber. Um, more core will be manufacturing, fashion turning it into fibers, creating the next range of biopolymers. Mm-hmm. Because actually, paper is a pretty—I mean, it, you know—the overall scheme of things is a pretty cheap product. So you don't want to put something really like cool and useful with all these really amazing properties into into a paper. And and that's something that I've learned is that um, you know, these these fibers are great for moulding. And mm. I nearly said something that I can't say, but going into the future, <laughs> you yeah. can make like fully three D packaging with very advanced moulding and other techniques and whatever that is gonna blow things apart. Um you won't want folded carton. Because you're kind of going to have a really much more sophisticated molded product. Um, okay. Now, so I, this so I, is I, I, yeah.
0: Just, sorry, just just to jump in here, I think you know that's a that's a great point from a packaging designer perspective. Like we just focus on paper, right? But uh, you know, paper and boards and stuff like that. So you know, looking at, at at the hemp, looking at this tree-free pulp, it's not necessarily tree-free paper. It's tree-free pulp and fibers yeah like what else can we do with it beyond just the typical paper so yeah so the 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 molded fiber um you know all these other things are are great solutions if you're a designer out there like think tasks i I just caught myself like just focus on the one thing but it's not it's not everything it's not everything yeah
1: yeah i mean you know we're looking i think i've been talking to industrial designers who obviously Mm -hmm. think about products like industrial products (laughs) um and again, they visual you know thinking about different kinds of fiber for different kinds of things, toothbrushes, um, you know, disposable razors. So again, it is replacing unrecyclables because you don't recycle toothbrushes, you don't recycle disposable razors. Um, you can use pulp to make these things. Um, and the sci- there's a lot of professors in this whole area, particularly, actually, ex-forestry people, people that used to work in the the paper and pulp sector in Finland, Sweden. Sweden. These guys have got, like, tons of really cool ideas of what you can do with it. Um, And I I think we're going to see an explosion, and packaging is going to have to fight for that pulp. Because everybody else wants it, because the LCA, because it's you know you've you've made the flour, you've made the barley, you've made the beer from the barley. What's left has a proportion of the um, carbon because it's already been used for something else. So your LCA is incredibly low. And what do brands want? Low else, low carbon. So there is going to be a big fight from all industries and packaging's gonna have to fight for that feedstock. I mean, packaging's running out of wood. It's gonna run out of non-tree because all the other industries gonna like, hey, packaging, you know, wait your turn. You know, we're next gen, um, you know, leather replacement and fabric replacement. We, we got there first.
0: Paul, can you give me three quick things that every brand can be doing today that can help reduce our carbon footprint?
1: I think number one, uh, make sure you have a carbon accountant. I think a lot of brands don't know what carbon accountancy or carbon accounting is. So hire yourself a really good carbon accountant, and a lot of brands are bringing them in-house. So they've got an on-site carbon accountant going around the whole supply chain. Mm -hmm. Secondly, Only publicize, and again, the things that are good so that other people don't fall down the same mistakes because brands are doing things and everybody jumps in and follows the leader. And often these things are completely wrong. So only publicize what your carbon accountant has signed off. And thirdly, I would say um, bring in a conservationist an ecologist a, a guy or a girl or a kid there's some amazing i you know I, I interact with a lot of like young ecologists like who know about insects and butterflies and ants and stuff they're great and they don't care about business bring in <laughs> mm-hmm. an advisory board of 14 year olds to tell you about how to save the natural world and listen to them because actually you need that to listen about, hey, you have just killed off the rock population. You just killed off the monarch butterfly, almost disappeared. You know, sure. millions and hundreds of millions of them almost disappeared. Get those young people in to advise you what to do because the big brands are the only people that can save these ecosystems. So that would be my three big
0: tips. That's awesome. So carbon accountant, ecologist. And what was the second one?
1: Don't. Yeah. The second one is don't Don't publicize publicize. the wrong things. You know, Mm -hmm. don't try and just get, you know, green points over stuff that's really bad.
0: That's it for the show. Thanks so much for joining us on Package Design Unboxed. If you have any questions, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always available for questions.